Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Kelly Neal. I live in Searcy, Arkansas, and I have three primary things that I do there. Um, I teach music at Harding University. I'm one of the choir directors, and I love it. It's, it's got to be one of the best jobs ever because I get to spend my time with college students who love to make music, and I get to help them. I'm also studying counseling. As Harding faculty, we get to take classes, and so for the last seven years, I've been taking classes in the counseling program. Um, after my own mental health crisis, kind of got interested in mental health, and I uh, have just been learning about that And in, at the end of my internship this semester, and it's been an incredible challenge, an incredible delight to be able to help people um, that are in need. And then I also preach at a little church in the middle of nowhere. It's called Oliphant, Arkansas. And it's, it's between possum grape and oil trough, if that tells you where it's located. And I've been there for almost five years. I absolutely love it. They are the most delightful people, and they have been very kind to me and patient with me, and I've been so blessed to be at that church. I'm privileged this morning to be here with my wife, Wendy, and one of our three daughters, Crystal, drove up from Dallas with her boyfriend, Corbin, and uh, I wasn't going to come, but then somebody said potluck, and so then I came. So we are glad to be here this morning, and I'm glad to have my family with me. The other thing I want to say before we begin is how grateful and I, uh, we all were to stay in the parsonage last night, how hospitable and warm you all have been to us. Whoever decorated that house was so thoughtful. And every corner of that house has elements that were, that were kind and hospitable and thoughtful to it. And so if I'm talking to you, I, of course, I don't know who you are, but thank you. It, it's, it's delightful, and it was restful, and it felt like Sabbath and renewal and refreshing. So um, I'm very much blessed to be here. We're going to begin this morning with a game. And so the game is called Name That Bird. Can you name the bird on the left? Blue Jay. No, his name is actually Frank. <laughs> that is a Blue Jay. Blue Jays are fun because they are so, they're like the bullies of the bird feeder, right? Can you name the bird on the right? A dove. That is a dove. That's one of the birds we read about in Scripture, that, that one of the birds that Noah left from the ark. And so the dove is the symbol of peace. The doves are not bullies. They are very kind of gentle, even though they're the biggest bird generally at the feeder. Okay, next slide. The one on the left? That is a hummingbird. I find that fascinating because their birds flap 60 times per second. I can't even imagine that. But somehow, God created muscles that are fast twitch enough they can go back and forth 60 times per second. What about the one on the right? That is a kingfisher, yes. Those are fascinating because the way they dive into the water is so aerodynamic. People actually copied that when they built trains that go into tunnels. They've actually borrowed from nature, from God's design, as they, as they design uh, trains that go into tunnels. That is a kingfisher. Fascinating to watch them, watch them fish. The one on the left, hawk. You see that one a lot on power lines or high trees, just looking for the mice going through the fields. And what about the one on the right? Sparrows. Those are sparrows. Maybe the most common birds on the list and one that Jesus referenced, right? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? In other words, there's so many sparrows, they're worthless. Doesn't sound very kind of Jesus, does it? But his point is, we are more valuable than sparrows. Will God not take care of us if he takes care of the sparrows? Okay, our next game is name that flower. The one on the left? Rose, that one's an easy one. How about on the right? Those are daisies, excellent. Next, the one on the left? 
They're not sunflowers. It's a little hard to see from where you are. Those are either brown-eyed Susans or black-eyed Susans. I don't know who got to decide about the color, but we can have a, an argument if it's brown or black. And the one on the right, those are vinca. Vinca. I don't know those flowers. My mom knows them. She's much better at this than I am. Okay, next one. Wildflowers. So many, so many different kinds, so many different colors. Who knows? I'm sure there's a biologist somewhere that can name the different species. We just call them wildflowers. Who planted them? They're wild, right? They just grow. They just grow. They just grow. One more game before we jump into the sermon. Close your eyes and don't think about a pink elephant. Okay, how'd you do? Well, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I'm going to guess that more than half of you pictured a pink elephant and then tried to cross it out or erase it. The other half of you are just cantankerous and just were not going to cooperate. That's my guess. Have you ever been upset about something, been really keyed up and really tense, and somebody just comes in and says, you just need to relax. Don't think about the pink elephant, just relax. Well, you just quit worrying. Just quit worrying about it. You're all worried about something. Just quit worrying. That helps a lot, doesn't it? Isn't that a great thing for somebody to say when you're worried and concerned about something? Well, just quit. Just stop. Do you know who the first counselor was that, that gave bad advice like that? It was actually Jesus, wasn't it? You're probably ahead of me. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today if you want to turn over there. By the way, I don't think Jesus gave bad advice. I think for too long, for many years, I read this scripture poorly, and I heard, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, like Jesus was playing that game with me, saying, well, Kelly, just quit worrying. Well, Lord, I don't want to worry. <laughs> I would much rather be happy than worry. Okay, well, then stop worrying. I'm trying to quit worrying, and that's, that's how I felt reading this scripture for a long time ago. And recently, I've seen some things in this passage that have really helped me and I'd like to share them with you today. I'm going to be preaching about worry and anxiety. I am highly qualified to preach this, not because I'm a counseling student, not because I'm a minister or teacher, but because I have been an out-of-control worrier. We're in Matthew chapter 6, and we're starting in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? We might translate that as wild flowers, right? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
My first argument with this text would be to say, well, if do not worry doesn't help, then why does Jesus say it three times? He starts with do not worry, and then in verse 28, and do not worry, and then verse 31, do not worry, and then there's a fourth time in the last verse, therefore do not worry. If do not worry doesn't help, then why does Jesus tell us do not worry? Well, Jesus has more for us, and it's the part that I missed for many years. My second argument with this text is, well, I'm not, I'm not worried about food and clothes. So does this really help me? I'm not worried about food and clothes. And I would say to that, remember that the people that Jesus wrote this to lived paycheck to paycheck. Well, okay, some of us can relate to paycheck to paycheck, but you see, in those days, paycheck was every day. You went to work, and at the end of the day, you got paid, and you went to the market on your way home, and you bought food for that night and the next day, and then that was it, and there was no more food. And then you went to work the next day and got paid and went to market and brought... You had one day's food at a time. That is a challenge, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I, I can't think of a time in my recent life where I have not had more than two days of food in the house. I can't think of a time in my recent history when I have not had more than one change of clothes to choose from. My worries about food and clothes are not, do I have enough? My worries about food and clothes are, which one? It's a choice, right? What food shall I eat? What, what, what clothes should I put on? Which of these shirts am I going to wear? And you say, well, but life was simpler back then. Of course they're worried about food and clothes. That's all they had, wasn't it? Well, part of that's true. Part of that's true. You know, in the last month, I've been worried about jobs and family and um, money and Afghanistan and politics and my cell phone goes off far too much and I can't keep up with email and there's all these things that need done and I'm trying to keep up the, the yard work. I mean, there's a whole list of things on my list of worries that these people would not have had. And the reason is, well, yes, life was simpler, but it was far more stressful. I think if our worries are not about food and clothes, we are blessed people. Am I right? If our worries are more than food and clothes, we are blessed people. Jesus reminded them, give us today our daily bread and we have food for the next week. They were worried about what would they wear when this one outfit wore out and we have 10 outfits in our closet. Worrying about more than food and clothes is evidence of blessing. But I want to say that the things that you're worried about, whether it's too much to do, whether it's news about the country or worried about other countries, reading about poverty, worries about COVID and cancer, worries about cousins or kids or parents, worries about work and fights with co-workers, marriage can cause worries. And if you think marriage is tough, try being a single parent. How many worries does that bring? And worries about health never seem to stop. We could probably spend the rest of our time just making a list of things that we worry about. And I could probably make a, a longer list than would be healthy. But you see, at the, at the bottom, when we sort through all of the worries and we get to the very bottom, it's actually the same question you started your life with. The psychologist Eric Erickson tells us that babies have one question. until they're, For the first 12 or 18 months of their life, they have one question, and it's a question for their mom, generally. 
For whoever their main caretaker is, will you take care of me? Will you take care of me? When I'm hungry, will you feed me? When I'm wet, will you change me? When I'm tired, will you let me sleep? Will you take care of me? And we find that as we grow up and we become adults, that we still have one basic question for God. Can I trust you to take care of me? And when I phrase it like that, and I say it on a Sunday morning, the answer is so obvious, isn't it? Of course God will take care of you. How old are you? Every year of your life is one more year of evidence that God is going to take care of you. That if you can trust him with the past, however many years you've lived, you can trust him with the future years you're going to live. If you can trust him with the past stories of trial that you've gone through, you can trust him with future stories of trial that you're going to go through. If you're not worried about food and clothing, first of all, be thankful that you're worried about better things. And number two, substitute your worries for those as we read this scripture. And finally, realize that once you get food and clothing, so you're good for a week or two, you're going to find something else to worry about. Maybe it's your car or your job. You can buy a better car and get a better job. You will find new things to worry about. Maybe it's family. You can get your family problems all fixed, and then you will find new things. Your life will never run out of things to worry about, right? The problem is not fixing all the problems. The problem is our mind that wants to think about the next thing instead of just trusting that God will take care of us. I want to take a slight detour and say there may be a few of you that seriously question if God will take care of you. And you probably have really good reasons. If you've lost a family member after you prayed and prayed and prayed and felt like God left, let, let you down. If you've gone through a trial and you prayed and prayed and prayed and feel like God let you down. If there's been a time in your life when you feel like God abandoned me, you may not know the answer to that question, will God take care of me? And I want to say that this sermon is not going to answer that question. You don't need a list. You don't need reasons. You don't need a, a, a rationale for why God will take care of you. You need the stories. You need the stories of Joseph and Abraham and Ruth. Watching God take care of people through awful, horrible, disquieting times. Those are going to help you more than today's sermon. So let's go back to Matthew 6. What Jesus does here in the, in the counseling field would be called cognitive distraction, where if you're worried about one thing, well, you can't quit worrying about it, but what you can do is think about something else. What Jesus does is say, okay, let's quit worrying about these, and let's start thinking about something else. If you're worried about food and clothes, rather think about the birds and the flowers. When I was a teenager at a youth retreat, I remember somebody brought a flashlight and they made a point about God with the flashlight. I don't remember what the point was. I just remember somebody saying, that was an object lesson. I'd never heard the phrase object lesson before. But Jesus used an object lesson here. And where was Jesus? Was he in a church? Was he in a theater? Was he in a shopping mall when he said these words? He, it was the Sermon on the Mount, right? He was literally outside and so when Jesus said in verse 26, look at the birds of the air, I think he gestured. I think he literally pointed maybe to birds flying in the air. And everyone's eyes went and he said, look at the birds of the air. 
He's not just using a rational argument. What he's saying is stop and look. Turn your head, turn your eyes, and look at the birds of the air. And then he says in verse 28, see the flowers of the field. And I think he gestured maybe with his other hand over where there were some wildflowers, maybe like we saw earlier. It's literally a change of our mind and our body and our eyes. So if you look at birds, what do you see? I spent a day getting ready for this sermon, so I just watched a bird. Here's what I saw. He went to the feed store early in the morning and he bought some seeds. He went home and he tilled some ground and then he planted the seeds. Then he got the garden hose and he watered the seeds. Then he waited for the seeds to come up and then he picked them one by one and he put them in a bag. He went to the market and he sold them. And then the bird went to the bank and he put the money in his account. Then he talked to his banker and said, I think I may want to move some of that into my retirement fund. I'm not sure I have enough for when I turn 65 days because birds don't live very long. He didn't do that, right? Birds don't plant. Birds don't harvest. Birds don't talk to bankers. All they do is eat. And who planted the seed? And who harvested the seed? And who made sure there was going to be food for birds? It was just God, wasn't it? That the bird literally does nothing to, pr- to promote his own existence except go around and find seeds that someone else had planted and someone else has harvested. The bird does nothing. And yet Jesus says, your heavenly Father feeds them. And so I watched flowers for a day, and what I saw was some flowers, and they sprouted in the morning, and they thought, I want to be prettier. And so they went to a clothing store, and they tried on some clothes, and they bought some clothes with their little flower credit card, and then they went home. They weren't quite happy with their nest, and so where do birds go? They go to Hobby Lobby. They probably ran into my youngest daughter, because I think she lives there. And then the bird bought some things for the home, and it brought it home, and it decorated decorated its little gather sign over the nest, and it was ready for dinner with its little bird family. Of course, birds don't do that, right? But Jesus said, if, if they don't labor and they don't spin, they don't sew clothes, they don't go to work, they don't decorate, but God makes them look better than King Solomon, who could hire the finest tailors and buy the finest fabric in the known world, and the wildflowers win if there's a contest. Look at the flowers. See the birds. In a way, this is the beginning of a sermon that's going to last your entire week. I hope that every time you see a flower or see a bird this week, it is an object lesson for you, as if God is whispering, I will take care of you. I will take care of you. You can trust me. Do you see that bird? I take care of that bird. Do you see those flowers? I take care of those flowers. There's a very troubling truth for me in the middle of this. And it's this, if birds don't work and God still feeds them, and if flowers don't dress and decorate and God still makes them beautiful, our worth is not found in what we do. Your worth as a person is not because of anything you have done. And that hurts me a little bit because I want to do all the right things and I want to to do them well and I want to pursue excellence. 
but none of the things that I do, nothing you can possibly do determines your worth as a child of God. It's because of who you are. Did you see the little boy that came and dropped money in the bucket? Do you love him because he put money in a bucket? Or do you love him just because of who he is? If you have kids, did you love your kids when they were born? Or did you kind of wait to see, uh, see how you turn out by 10? Maybe at 10 I'll decide if I love you or not. You love your kids just because of who they are. That's the way God loves you. Look with me at verse 31, if you would. Here's the conclusion of Jesus, the final verses of Jesus' advice here. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? If you have different questions, substitute your own questions. Do not worry, saying, will I get that promotion? Do not worry, saying, how are we going to fix this fight with my spouse? Do not worry, saying, what's going to happen to me next year? with this health problem. What Jesus says is don't ask the wrong questions. If you're worried about and fixated on something like that that you're worried about, you're asking the wrong questions. And it doesn't matter how hard you try to ask them, answer them. If you're asking the wrong questions, you're going to get a poor answer. Verse 32. For the pagans run after all these things. I always read this as stupid pagans. Why do they run after those things? Why do they think they need food and clothes? And then I said it out loud, and I thought, well, Kelly, I think you need food and clothes too, don't you? Jesus isn't saying we don't need these things. In other words, Jesus is not dismissing your worries. The things that you're concerned about, the things that kept you up this week when you couldn't sleep, the things that you found yourself fixated on when you couldn't get them out of your mind, God's not saying they're silly or ridiculous. Jesus is saying you really legitimately need those things. I'm a teacher, and sometimes I worry about a student, and I'm not sure what's going on with my student in this situation or this part of life. Jesus is saying those things are legitimate. But... Verse 33, but seek first. A better question to ask, a better thing to think about, a more important task is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the other things will be given to you as well. Have you ever gone back to a prayer list that you wrote down and it was years ago? I tell you, if you want to see evidence of God's grace, of God's action in the world, of God's faithfulness and God's willingness and ability to take care of you, think about the things that you were passionately praying for five years or ten years ago. Because none of the things that I saw the last time I looked back, none of those things were worries anymore. Some of them did not turn out the way I wanted to. There were people that I prayed for that were sick and they died. There were situations that I prayed for. I hope this thing happens, and it did not happen. But as I look back, I can see the evidence of God's working and God's mercy. The thing that I was praying for over here, it worked out. And the thing I was praying here for over here, it worked out. Sometimes in ways I never would have imagined, sometimes in ways that were better than what I prayed for. But if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, the other things God will take care of. 
Verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me tell you one final story. This was eight or ten years ago. I was fully, when it was when my worry was totally out of control. I had a doctor appointment in Little Rock. I had many. I was going through some medical stuff and back and forth and back and forth to specialists in Little Rock. And I had an appointment at a certain time, and I, it's an hour and I did not leave in time. I was about five minutes late. And on the way down, I started worrying. Oh, I'm late. Should I speed? I don't want to speed. What if I get a ticket? I was worried about that. If I don't speed, I'm going to be late. What happens if I show up late? They'll probably reschedule me for a different day. Then the trip is worth, worthless. I burned all that gas money. Burned the whole afternoon. I took time off. To, oh, no, what do I do? What if I get there and then they reschedule me to the end of the day? What if I get there and then they yell at me and then reschedule me to the end of the day and then reschedule me for tomorrow? What's all? And I spent about 45 minutes of that hour drive worrying. Two things. Do you know how many birds and how many flowers I missed? Because it was a beautiful day. The sun was out. The flowers were on the side of the highway. There were green trees everywhere. I missed all of them because I was so committed to worrying. Point number two, do you know what happened when I got there? The receptionist said, oh, glad you're here. The doctor's running about 10 minutes late. Just have a seat. That was it. That was it. All the things I worried about, zero of them happened. And I could have spent that time enjoying the trip. Would you rather be worrying about the problems of tomorrow or enjoying the blessings of today? Thank you for listening. If you would like us to pray for you, if you have any needs and want to speak to me or one of the shepherds, you can come forward. We're going to have an invitation song. Let's all stand.